Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor. And on today's episode, I interview my sister, Yali Tahan. This is episode three of the personal series. Episode one was my husband, Ami Glassberg. Um, if you haven't listened to that one, I got lots of positive feedback and it was interesting to hear, to hear husband's perspective and man's perspective. Um, so yeah, go back and listen to that. Last week I interviewed my friend, Kelly Gross. Other people call her Ellie Shelva Gross, Kelly Kravitz, um, and she really uh, shared with us her her life journey, which has been incredible. So go back and listen to that one, um, just through becoming religious and through loss and body changes, and she was really open and honest, and it was a great conversation. Um, and then this week, I had my sister, Yali Dahan. Now, um, we really delve deep into her decision to become a doctor, why she chose to be a doctor, why she specifically chose her field. And um, I, I think maybe she'll come back on because I wanted to <clears throat> talk to her a little bit about like the grieving process and grief and everything. But it was just such a long conversation and it was so interesting, even though I knew bits and pieces, I had never heard it like that. And um, I think the biggest takeaway from from my conversation with her was just that like, Yes, it's extremely difficult to become a doctor and going to medical school for 10 years and, you know, having kids and trying to juggle everything. But if you want it badly enough, like you don't want to look back on your life and regret it. So obviously take that with a grain of salt. And going back to all my millions of talks about self-care and taking care of yourself and knowing your limits. But um, if this is a true calling and a passion and 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 it is within your limits, then totally go for it. And um, I, I always tell Yali, and I'm always bragging about her, like, oh, my sister, she's a doctor, but we call her all the time for questions. And her husband's also a doctor. They're, they're really smart and really helpful, and um, they're awesome to have <laughs> in the family. Uh, but we do have a bunch of doctors in the family now, but as Yali will you'll hear her say, that wasn't always the case. Um, so... Anyways, listen, um, enjoy. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel as well as the podcast. Um, the more su- people who subscribe, the more it moves up in the rankings and people could really um, find the podcast. And I just wanted to uh, read this post somebody sent me yesterday on Instagram really quickly. It says, hi, I just wanted to let you know I've been listening to your podcast and it's just what the from community needs. I've been in solid recovery from an eating disorder for four years now after struggling for 10, and it was really intuitive eating that made that possible. I was introduced to intuitive eating by Christy Harrison, who was my nutritionist for a bit years ago before she was famous. Anyways, thank you so much for the incredible work you're doing. I'm sending lots of love. Lots of people your way. I'm so excited to have discovered your podcast and so happy the from community now has a voice of reason. So that was a chizakar, gave me some extra strength when I read that yesterday because I had this conversation with a client yesterday, like, why am I the only one that believes in intuitive eating? Like, why am I the one, like, swimming upstream? And I totally could relate to that, and I feel for her. And I have my moments of weakness where I'm just like, I can't. Like, I can't hear another person talking about their diet. I can't go to another event and feel insecure about what I'm choosing to eat. It's really, really hard. I just wanted to make space and validate that, that – this isn't like the easy decision. And um, I think that what, I, what I've really come to um, learn and accept and understand is that when you look in the mirror and you see something that you don't like, dieting gives you a really, really, really strong sense of hope. Like, okay, I have some sort of control. I can look in the mirror. I don't like what I see. I'll go on a diet and change it. And I know that most people who are listening are still thinking like, yeah, why not? Like we, you could technically lose weight, right? But for those who are listening or 
trying to talk talk to family members and explain this to them. Think about the people who you know who have went on a diet and tried to lose weight. Did they lose weight? Did they keep off the weight? Are they better for it? Do they feel better? Are they now obsessed with food? Are they binging? Are they um, not engaging in um, outings because they don't want to be around food? Is that the quality of life that they want to have? So remind yourself, write a mantra. You know, I write it on my walls. Make, have a little index card on your mirror to remind yourself that this is the body that God gave you. Bodies change. Our body is not the most important thing in our lives or the way that it looks anyways. It's so much more than what it looks like. Um, I know that um, just the, the summer months are really hard and we're outside more and maybe are a little bit more in touch with our body or out of touch with our body, depending on how you look at it. Um, I know my kids are off for some time and I'm already starting to feel a little anxious, like what am I going to do with them? But I just wanted to say that um, affirmations, mantras, reminding yourself that you could do it, reminding yourself that you are enough and that your body is here to walk you through this journey of life and hold your soul for your entire life. But it's really that's what it's here to do and i know that we're we're living in a um body obsessed world or a thin obsessed world but we can be above that and we can um like care about the more important things in life so i know it's hard and i know it feels like it's swimming upstream and i know that that there will still be bad body image days and there will still be days where we doubt ourselves and that's okay it's all part of the journey so um i hope this podcast is a little lighter something to just enjoy and be inspired by somebody's um tenacity so um if you want to make peace with food and you want to heal your relationship with food go to my website www.thakilaglassberg.com and sign up there for a 20-minute free clarity call have a great day Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I've come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. Losing my teeth. And today I have my sister, Yali Dahan. Hey, Yali. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Actually, we talked about, I talked about having you like a few times and then we never did it. And now it's like, I'm, I have this whole personal series where people will get to know me personally and this is just fun yeah now I feel like I'm part of my celebrity sister's life oh yes I'm a huge celebrity <laughs> if you didn't know um well tell the listeners a little bit about yourself where do you live and what do you do okay so I live in Cleveland Ohio for you New Yorkers that's not in New York it's, it's not in New York of New York do people think it's in New York 
Um, I don't think anyone thinks he's from New York. I think that just a lot of people in New York don't know what that means. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Like, say something about that because because I we grew up out of town and then I went to seminary and like people don't know like when you say Rochester they're like is that are you are you saying Manchester like do you have an accent like where's Scranton is that like and you know I'm like no it's like it's like on the map you know so or I went to the office like Brooklyn and Queens right and Long Island and New Jersey right and New Jersey yeah. everything else yeah yeah I get it. I so see both sides. Cleveland, Ohio, Midwest. Okay. Um, and I am an anesthesiologist for kids, so a pediatric anesthesiologist. Um, and I moved out to Cleveland to go to medical school and basically pretty much stayed here um, since then. So my husband and I are both doctors here, and we have three little kids. Um, and we... We live here. We live in Cleveland. We have no family here. We actually now have a cousin that lives here. Um, but as you know, Gila, yes, I know. We're, we're here on our own. Um, Which is hard, really hard. It's really, really hard being away from family. Um, but just kind of after weighing all the pros and cons of what Cleveland has to offer for us and for our family and for our kids and for our careers. Um, we've pretty much decided to stay here, settle down here for the foreseeable future. Um, it's a really nice place. Begging, begging people to come visit us. Yes, I know. Bribing people with yes. whatever they like. Yes, really, yeah, I didn't know that. I like diamond rings actually. Um, but, but um, okay, so tell us why you decided to become a doctor and why an anesthesiologist and why a pediatric anesthesiologist. Well, so I really, I'm one of those people, I think a lot of people, you hear them say like, oh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I decided to become a doctor much later on when I was in college. And then a lot of people are just like, oh, I kind of, from the time I can remember, I just wanted to be a doctor. So I'm, I'm more in that category. I actually, I really can't pinpoint when that kind of vision of myself started. I know I can clearly remember in high school that I, I would tell people, yeah, I'm, I'm going to become a doctor. It just was kind of um, something that I got in my head that I really wanted to do. Um, I, although I can't really pinpoint exactly when it started. So we don't really have anybody in our family. Now we have some people um, in the healthcare field, like you, Gila, and right. some of our other sisters. Um, but growing up, I, you know, we really didn't um, have anybody in our family in healthcare. And yeah, I that's really interesting that we did, you didn't have like a role model or like someone who spurred it. Yeah, I think, I think what, like when I think about it, I think what kind of started it, I, I had, I was very drawn to like my science classes in high school. Like I just loved um, like biology and chemistry. I just really, really enjoyed it. And I saw that I was good at it. It got like kind of like a lot of positive reinforcement from my teachers um, and I, but I never saw myself as being like a scientist, like a bench scientist, like, like working in a lab. I'm, I'm definitely a people person. Um, and so I think it was just kind of, I was, I was drawn into the medical field because of like the science background, but also because of the people background. Like I definitely mm -hmm. am not someone that would have been able to just like work by myself in like a, at like a bench in like a lab. Like working in your basement, home office type yeah. of thing. Yeah, and I, I never really, I liked a lot of like the like math and stuff behind, let's say like 
chemistry, but I never, I never like loved necessarily like being in a lab and doing experiments like that. Like that wasn't, that was more just something like I had to do as part of my classes, but I definitely really liked biology a lot. Like I just thought it was so interesting. And then I really enjoyed like the math behind um, like chemistry. So mm -hmm. I liked the schooling a lot. Um, and then I had a moment in college where I was like, oh my God, I had just gotten back from seminary. So I was, you know, I want to, um, how am I going to have a family and be a doctor? Because again, I really didn't have a lot of role models. I mean, mm -hmm. now, nowadays, now I know a lot of women in medicine that, that are able to have a family and be a doctor and, you know, in my perception, do it well. Mm -hmm. But um, at the time when I was like young and 18, and really I had a lot of role models for women that were moms and wives, and I knew that I wanted to do both of those, but I really didn't have a role model for anybody that was doing both. And so I started having doubts about um, that career choice and kind of thought, well, maybe I should, if I really am interested in medicine, maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should do nursing mm -hmm. so that I can still be in the medical field, but also be able to have a family. Um, and so when I started my undergraduate work, I um, was thinking about doing nursing. And then I kind of had this, like, one of these aha moments at some point where I was doing really well in my classes. I was taking the classes for medical school. Mm -hmm. um, you were pre-med? I wasn't pre-med because I was mm -hmm. going to go to nursing school. But I was mm -hmm. taking, I was in a pre-med biology course. And um, I think that was more of even like a scheduling snafu. Like, I think I was supposed to do, like, a different biology for nursing, but either register for the wrong class or didn't get into the nursing one or something. Mm -hmm. I don't remember how I ended up in the pre-med one, but that's where I was. And that's actually where I met Isaac. I was going to say, um, is that where you, right. This is, it was just uh, serendipity. That said well, it. isn't that crazy? Because maybe one time met Isaac and you were in the right class, maybe. the right or the wrong class because right. ended up doing right. Exactly. And so I had one of these moments where like, even though I was only 18, I was like, you know, I'm pushing myself to do something different than I thought um, because I'm worried about what it's going to be like when I'm in like my 20s and my 30s and I have young kids. But then I'm like, well, what about the rest of my life? Like, mm -hmm. you know, God willing, be like in my 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. And then like my kids are going to be all grown up and I'm not going to have done this thing that I always really wanted to do. Right. And I never saw myself as like, oh, like, let me go back to medical school when I'm in my 40s, which right. people do, but I people never, do like, that, yeah. I wanted to just kind of get my education out of the way. And then, But you're also like a logical person and like a type A type of person, I would say. That's true. But even now, I still think back to my 18-year-old self and I'm like, wow, that was like a lot of decision making for like- Yeah. Um, Did you have like a sounding board? Like you have, you have some friends who, who are doctors now or like dentists or like in the, you know, medical field. Is that like, yeah. did you run that by them? I don't know if I ran it by them, but I would, I can definitely say, I mean, my group of friends at the time when I decided to definitely go for medicine, they were mainly my friends from seminary mm -hmm. and most of them were doing something in the medical field. Like I had right. a really good friend going to dental school, right. a really good friend going to medical school. And so, you know, I feel like, I don't know how much they were necessarily influential in my initial decision to say like, oh, I'm going for this, but they definitely were my support system. We all mm -hmm. kind of supported each other. Right. You know, so like when you, when you're studying all the time like that, your core group of friends become other people that are also studying all the time because right. we're like always 
studying, always taking tests. And so your group of friends just kind of become like the other people that a you're around, but also people that understand like what you're going through and what those stresses are to like have to study and have deadlines and then all the other, I mean, it just gets more and more competitive, you know, it's like mm-hmm. not enough to just do well at school. You need to have research, you need to mm-hmm. do volunteer work. Mm-hmm. So there's so much to do. Um, so we all definitely like supported each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but that was kind of, that was my aha moment. I would say I was, when I was a freshman, I'm like, I'm doing really well in these classes and I know that I can do this. And I feel like if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it. Like mm-hmm. there's going to come a time where I say like, I gave up on this dream. Um, and now like my kids are older and don't need me to like be there all the time. And now I never did what I wanted to do. Right. Um, and I'll tell you, like, I, I think about that now. And that's advice that I give people. Cause a lot of like young girls and, and guys will ask me like, Oh, like, you know, I'm thinking about medical school. Do you think I should do it? And my advice is really the same advice that I gave myself. Like I tell people, if you're really passionate about this and this is your dream, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You, just, you just have to do it because you're going to regret it. And it's it's too hard and takes up too much time to like advise somebody to just do it later. Right. Some people do do it later. Right. I think if you think that you want to do it and you know that you can do it, you just do it when you're young. But if, if there's anything else that you think you're interested in, do that because right. it is really hard. It is like a huge commitment. You basically yeah. dedicate most of your twenties to your education and to your career. And if you, if like, you know, I'm on the other side of it and say like, Oh my God, I'm so happy and so grateful that I did this. And I love what I do. Right. You happen to love your job. I love my job. But if you don't love it, I have a lot of friends that don't love their jobs. I mean, as doctors or doctors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they did all the same training that I did and they're not, they like either like are trying to like find other things to do or like are always switching jobs or just like, don't feel like satisfied. And like, that's the worst feeling ever. Yeah, I, I really feel for them. I really do. Because yeah, after all that. And then I'm so grateful for like the field that I chose to go into because mm-hmm. I think um, I think had I gone into other fields, I would have a lot of the same frustrations. Right. You know? Did, was was medical school or like like you said, like all those years in your 20s, like was it as hard as you expected? Was it harder? Like was it something that like you could never expect like how hard it is? I think that when you're going through anything that's hard, whether it's medical school or any other, like any other real challenge, I I actually feel myself sometimes I'll like look at things that you guys are doing as like the oldest sibling and I'm like, Mm -hmm. how do they do that? Mm -hmm. And then I have just the mantra of like, you just do what you have to do. Right. Right. I feel like while I was doing it, um, it just felt like normal life. But now that I reflect on it and think about, um, you know, it was, it wasn't just medical school. Medical school is hard for anybody, but Mm -hmm. we were like two people, both in medical school, husband and wife. Mm -hmm. We had two little kids through our medical training with no family here. Right. So it was really, really hard. You had that one year that you moved to Rochester. Was that like easier, harder? Um, I think it was in ways easier and in ways harder. Um, right. It was a really hard year in general in our training because we mm-hmm. were both working like 80 hours a week. Um, how do you work 80 hours a week? Like just how? 
How do you function? It's really hard. I mean, you you saw us. Yeah. I don't remember seeing you a lot that year. Really that was the year I got married. I mean, yeah. like think about any of your really hard years, right? Years when like you were in school and your husband was in yeshiva and you had a tiny baby and you had mm-hmm. no money and you were like trying to work and go to school and raise your child. At the it was really time. hard. Like, mm-hmm. how do you make rent? How do you do that? You just do it. You don't really feel like a person, you know? When yeah. When you back in it, you're like, I don't know how I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like my whole, my, my mantra of like self-care, which is like, was not me like, you know, five years ago when I was going through all there that. Was no self, there was no self-care going on. There was no self. There was, there was just like, there was legit survival. survival. Like, let's make sure we have food. Let's make sure we all uh, have clean clothes. <laughs> yeah. But you happen to be like the oldest of nine, like super responsible. Like, I wonder if like, I feel like not everybody could handle what you handled, honestly. Like, I really do think it's like a, a certain personality type could like go through that and like yeah. be it was, alive. It was really hard. I got to say, it was really hard. And I agree. I don't think it's for everybody. Um, and again, I mean, I don't, I don't regret it because in the end, to me, it was worth it. Now, like, I have a lot more control over my time mm-hmm. and I made the like, best decision which I was like very very nervous about and very um even now now even to this day I'll have kind of like a a moment of weakness where I think like oh should I be going back full-time but um like three years ago I started working four days a week instead of five days a week Mm -hmm. um and it was like the best thing I've ever done because it's Mm -hmm. really like a day aside that's different than Shabbos and Sunday Mm-hmm. Um, which has, its, you know, they have their own merit, but my kids are always home and there's a, that those days have their own, you know, re- like requirements. Of mm-hmm. them, right. Whereas my day off is just like, once my kids are in school, it's really a day that I can just do things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Me time. It involves some, some housework things like right. grocery shopping or running errands, but it's still my choice to do it during that the, that day as opposed to like 6 p.m. after I've worked for 12 hours and know I have to come home and make dinner and get right. kids, you know going for the night right then it's much nicer to be able to like drop my kids off at school and get a coffee right. and then go right. shopping you know right always the coffee always <laughs> so, so yeah it was really hard I don't recommend people that unless you really want it and unless you're like there's just nothing else that I can see myself doing and enjoying um then I don't I don't think for most people it's the right decision you know it's like you really put a lot of yourself on hold for a long Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. um and I think that unless you have you know I'm surrounded by a lot of mentors in my field who who also work part-time and who encouraged me they're also like moms whose husbands have demanding jobs. Um, and they were very like supportive and encouraging for me to, to, to work part, you know, one, one less day a week. And so, you know, as opposed to their other fields, I think that that women can go into where it's like, Oh, like slacker. You know? mm-hmm. Right. Why are you, aren't you like pulling your, uh, your weight around here? Right. So, I think it's important to like, I think part of that is luck. I, you know, I mean, again, some of these decisions, you know, they, they were active decisions, but like, I obviously don't have a crystal ball. I didn't know how things were going to turn out. But I think to some degree there's some, you know, like luck involved. 
Um, it's crazy that you're saying four days and like your work like 12 hours a day is like considered part-time in your field. Like that's just like, even that is like so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I know my husband uh, calls me semi-retired. Uh, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. And so you're so Isaac. Um, but how, how did you decide like anesthesia and pediatrics? So, um, Gila, your, your picture's frozen. I don't know. Can you still see? Oh, me? I still see you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is it um, still frozen? Yeah. Your picture's frozen. All right. Hopefully then. Yeah. But oh. it's a good shot of you. So, okay, you great. Know, awesome. Those, like awkward shots where people oh, yeah. are like, frozen with their mouth open. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, at least that. Mm. Um, Tell me when it's not frozen. Okay. I'll let you know. So, um, so I chose anesthesia, almost like a process of elimination. So, um, in med school, so you spend your first two years, now you're not frozen. Okay. Hi. You spend your first two years, um, spent with most of your time in classes. So similar to like what you would think of in like as college. So mm -hmm. you're like taking courses and taking tests and studying. And there's a little bit of interaction with patients, but it's very little. You're mainly doing like book work mm -hmm. and learning how to do parts of your of like your your like clinical work but on like fake people on standardized patients that are basically being paid to allow you to examine them and learn how to do your physical exam um, and how to like write your note and how to report your findings and things like that and then your third year did you like that like those first two years yeah I mean it was just kind of felt like a continuation of college to a degree mm -hmm. um, you know it was just it was just like book learning. That's mm -hmm. what I was used to. Um, and, and it was exciting because we, we had like a glimpse into starting to see patients, but like, you don't feel anywhere near like a doctor yet, like in your right. few years. Right. Um, and then kind of like, I don't know if you've spoken to Ayala about her experience, but like, she's so cute and she, yeah. you know, is like starting to see. Ayala, our younger sister who is yeah, becoming an eye doctor. <clears throat> right. So to like see patients and she's like, yeah. Oh, real people yeah know, yeah totally I relate a lot like listening to her experience I can yeah me remember a lot of mine um, are they like mean to you when you're like when you're like not a doctor yet like like the other like the real doctors do they like treat you like in the movies you know like they're like no, they're no? really nice they're like, nice. most of them are really nice because you have to remember that anybody that's choosing to to work in a hospital that has medical students and residents is is usually interested in teaching Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you would work in a hospital, like a private practice hospital, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So no, they're, they're really nice. Um, so yeah, so in my third year, so you start, you have to do, everybody has like uh, seven or eight like required rotations that you have to do as a medical student, like your basic rotations, like surgery, pediatrics, um, internal medicine, OBGYN, like everybody has to do these. And, and this is kind of where you decide, like some people know what they want to do when they start, mm -hmm. but most people don't. And this is kind of, you're rotating in these fields. And this is when you decide um, like what type of subspecialty you want to do. And so, you know, I started rotating through things and um, I knew pretty early on that I did not want to do surgery. I was not into that. Um, and then I did in my internal medicine rotations, which I really liked. 
but I realized that I didn't like taking care of people in like an outpatient setting, like in an office. I just didn't like office medicine. I felt like I was doing like a lot of charting and like, like this sounds crazy, but like, I didn't really enjoy taking care of healthy people. Like just mm-hmm. like double checking that healthy people were still healthy. I'm like, it just didn't like do it for me. I wanted to like be like problem solving. Mm-hmm. That like, makes sense. No, that really makes sense. It was like understimulating. It just, yeah, I just like, as much as I liked, like, I definitely didn't want to not interact with people. Like I, I, you know, I wouldn't have done, let's say like pathology where you're just like sitting, you know, by yourself and looking at slides. I wanted to interact with people, but like, I didn't, I wanted my primary, like, time, like most of my time to be spent with medicine, with people, but Mm -hmm. more medicine than people. And I just felt like, like in the outpatient setting, it's like most of the time, everything's fine. Right. I'm not like practicing a ton of medicine. I just, I just didn't really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So I like, so I was thinking of doing internal medicine and doing like working like in an ICU. Like I like taking care of sick people. Wow. Um, that wasn't like too intense for you. Like you didn't feel like that was like super intense. So it's intense in the sense that like, you kind of need a break. Like, I don't know that I would be able to do that all the time. And most ICU doctors are also lung doctors. So they spend part of their time working, like seeing people in the office, like mm-hmm. lung disease and mm-hmm. like part of the time in the ICU because mm-hmm. like being in the ICU all the time is like super intense. Mm-hmm. But that's just what I, I found that I enjoyed. I like taking care of sick people. I like taking like managing the ventilator and managing like all their medications. So I, I enjoyed that. But I still found there was a lot of like busy work involved. Like there's a lot of rounding. There's a lot of writing notes. There's a lot of family meetings. Mm -hmm. So like while I enjoyed the medicine part, I just felt like there was a lot of still like non-medicine parts that you were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I did the uh, the way that my routine. So I still like wasn't finding something that I like loved. You know, I I just wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then I did... um, a rotation as part of my surgery rotation. We ha- we did two weeks of anesthesia. It was kind of like mixed into our, mm-hmm. our surgery rotation. And I like loved it. I had no, I feel like most people have no idea what anesthesiologists do. Yeah. And what do they do? <laughs> this is amazing. Like I, I was like, this is so cool. Like, it's like this combination of you get to do like a lot of procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like each patient is almost like a mini ICU patient. It's almost like every time someone has surgery, it's like they got like run over by a car just in this like very controlled setting that you kind of know in advance that they may bleed and you know in mm-hmm. advance that they may need you know medication for their blood pressure so it's like it's like a trauma setting kind of but a like a controlled trauma mm-hmm. I, guess I just really loved like the mix of like everything was very like in the moment so mm-hmm. like oh you're gonna prescribe somebody a blood pressure medication and then come back in three months and let's see if it's working let's see if we need to increase your dose by a little bit it just it's very like in the moment you you like are adjusting what you're doing you see the results of what you're doing um so you get like kind of like instantaneous feedback there's there's a mix of like there's patient interaction obviously like you meet your patient before you put them to sleep and before surgery and even though it's a really brief meeting, because it's such an intense and scary time in their life, because they're like about to have surgery, you can kind of connect with them very quickly. Um, did I- you realize, did you realize all these components when you were like for the first time in anesthesia or like you're only reflecting on it now, how, like why it was so, why you liked it so much? Um, I think that I was, so, you know, you spend a lot of time in third year thinking about like 
everything that you're doing and like, can right. I do this for my whole life? So I was like narrowing things down. I'm realizing like, I don't like outpatient. I like medicine, but I really don't like the busy work. So I was like, you know, I, I definitely want to work with people. So I don't want to do like radiology or pathology. Mm -hmm. So I was like figuring it out. I don't know if it was quite as clear as like when I'm, you know, telling it to you as a story from 10 right. years ago, but, right. but I definitely, I mean, that's what I, you spend your whole third year at the end of third year is when you apply for residency, mm -hmm. you need to figure out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I kind of like really, really liked anesthesia in just those two weeks. And, and like, there was, I had done all my other rotations. I was pretty much at the end. I was about to have Noah. I don't know if you mm -hmm. remember, I was like nine months pregnant. It was mm -hmm. the end of my third year. I had to apply. Mm -hmm. And so in a way it was not the most informed decision because I just had to get my applications out. I had tried everything else. There was nothing else that I really loved. And I, even though I'd only done anesthesia for two weeks, I really liked it. And I felt like it kind of like all the issues that I had found with other things, I felt like were not present here. Hmm. So like, even though I didn't have a ton of, of experience in it, I just felt like it just kind of clicked. I'm like, this, mm -hmm. is, this is it. I really like this. Wow. Um, and then I did more anesthesia rotations after I had applied, like when I came back from my maternity leave, which also kind of like confirmed it, you know, I, mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, I really, really like this. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's pretty much it. Then I did my residency. Um, it was almost the same thing. I like when I started my anesthesia residency, I was kind of thinking I might want to do pediatrics, but then, then I was actually pregnant with my, with Jacob, my second son. Um, when I started my peds rotations in anesthesia and I was so nervous about it. I'm like, Oh my God, how am I going to take care of sick kids? Like, mm -hmm. I'm pregnant and I have mm -hmm. a son and mm -hmm. I was, I was so nervous about how I was going to get through those two months. Yeah. And I ended up loving it. I like totally loved it. And I was like, do I just like it? Cause the people are nice because I had the rotation I had done beforehand. The people were not nice. Mm. Like maybe it's just like, maybe they're just being really nice to me because they're peds and I'm pregnant. Right. Like, right. Let me just give it some time. And then, so I decided to like, they were all like encouraging me to go into pediatrics. Um, was this already in the Cleveland clinic where you work now? Yeah. 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 It's people that you work with still. These are, yeah. Wow, that's me. These are my people. Your people, um, yeah. But I just was like, I just totally loved it. It was kind of similar to how I totally loved anesthesia. Like, um, I really enjoyed working with kids. I really enjoyed like that, you know, when you're like explaining things to kids, you'll have to, you're kind of like, you're kind of speaking to both the, you're speaking to both the parents and the kids and you need to explain things on like two different levels at the same time. And like mm -hmm. the parents are nervous and the kids are nervous and you're like, you have just like a few minutes to get them to trust you with their child. And then like everything that you're doing is, is so much more challenging. Cause it's like, you know, everything needs to be super exact cause they're, they're small and everything needs to be weight based and all your procedures that you're doing are on like tiny people and tiny veins and tiny airways. And it's like everything that I loved about anesthesia, but even more, you have to be like so meticulous and so like on top of everything that you're doing. Um, and just in general, in pediatrics, like all the people, like aside from anesthesia, like the nurses and the surgeons and just everyone that you're working with, just in general, so much nicer than when you're in the adult world. Like, cause you're taking yeah. care of kids. Right, like, right, right. Like, you know, right. 
picks up this, they just have whatever they have. And so everyone's like so much more compassionate. I think, Mm -hmm. I think in medicine, it's very easy to lose your compassion. You know, people are like tired and overworked and they feel underappreciated. And I think that like, it's easy to like burn out and get bitter Mm -hmm. and forget why you went into this field to begin with. And just in general, as a culture in pediatrics, it's, it's like, it's still there. Like Mm -hmm. people are still like in it for the right reason. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was just told, I was sold. I'm like, I, this is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Wow. You had like a calling. I totally had a calling. I like, I like couldn't get away from it. Yeah. Yeah. About it. And I'm like, I think I'm going to apply for peds. And he's like, you're not thinking about it. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even have to talk about it. Yeah, that must have been a really good feeling to like confirm that like the thing that you love is like the thing that you want that you're able to do that you could do. Yeah, and I that's how I feel. I feel so grateful. Like I really feel I'm starting my almost my fifth year of um of working now since I finished my fellowship, and um I still you know the any like issue with work it's more of just like you know this person's being annoying. Mm -hmm. As far as my job itself. Like, I still am excited to go to work. I love my job. I totally That's amazing. Do you know, like, I guess you probably do know, but do you know, like, what your, what day lies ahead every day? Like, because people are scheduled for surgery, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have like a surgery schedule and we get assigned to, to our cases the day before. Um, things can always change. Like you can have like emergencies that are added on in your room or something could get canceled and then you get another case. So there definitely can be changes to your day that you didn't, you know, un- unpredictable changes. Um, but for the most part, I have, I get like a list of my patients the night before and I look them up. So I like know about their history and things like that. Um, and then I, whoever I'm working, I'm usually either working with a resident or a fellow or a nurse anesthetist because I run more than one location at the same time. So then like, they'll call me at night and we like go over our plan for the next day. So we're like all on the same page and can like talk about any issues that are, that we need to like address. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. and then, yeah. And then the next day we, we do it. Are you like ever like really nervous or worried or like overwhelmed at work? Yeah, totally. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes I have like really scary cases, you know, um, really sick patients that you're like, you're just not sure like how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like 80% of my cases are like pretty straightforward. And so there, it doesn't feel scary. It just kind of feels like it's just my job, you know, like what, like what would be like considered not scary? Like, you know, healthy patients having hernia surgery or having mm-hmm. their tonsils out mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, having a broken bone fixed or an mm-hmm. eye surgery. Those mm-hmm. are usually really straightforward. Um, you know, things that can get scary is people that are sick in general, you know, just like a, a sick person, someone that has cancer, someone that has heart disease, someone that has a brain issue, you know, people that are just sick can, mm-hmm. um, are at a higher risk of not doing well under anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then anytime I have to take care of a really small baby, like a baby in, that's in the NICU that weighs like, you know, two pounds, three pounds, those are all, it doesn't matter how many you do. They're always nerve wracking. Oh my God. I cannot imagine. I really can't imagine. It's crazy. I'm so small. 
every time we hang out and you like talk about these things, I'm like, I can't believe you, like my sister does this just because it's crazy. Like you're so like normal, but like you have such a scary job. Like, yeah, it is. It's sometimes it's really scary. It, I gotta say, but it's not always like, I don't think right. I do it every single day is scary like that. That that would be too stressful, you know, right. be like broken up where, yeah. and, and it's not to say like I could take a job that's like really like that would be pretty much easy every day, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't even want that. Like I I like the challenge and I like like if I never did cases that were challenging, that would just that would be really boring and like, mm-hmm. not stimulating. So right. I enjoy being able to like do cases that like get my heart racing, you know, and make mm-hmm. me nervous. That that's like I feel like that's what keeps my like skills up. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely not something I would want to do every day. Right do you where do you see like yourself going in your career do you see yourself doing this like for the rest of your life or do you see like like your your working life or is there like something else that comes after this uh I don't see myself with like a different career path or anything I'm not like uh you know secret uh I don't know musician no no I mean like let's say like in 10 20 years you see yourself like I don't know teaching it or or opening your own practice or like something like that um not really I I really like see myself mainly if anything I can see myself like like working less like I could see like as I get older wanting to do it like let's say like three days a week instead of four um I to me like if I were to go to like a less acute setting like let's say I worked like an outpatient like there's kind of no point it's like super boring to me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so but like I could definitely see myself like you know, just wanting more time off and like less days doing those stressful cases. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I kind of joke and tell my husband, like, I don't see myself like truly retiring because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you don't want to like not use your brain and like, yeah, right. Just not have something to do. It's like, right. I feel like, I feel like I wouldn't do well with that. With right. Completely. Yeah. But I definitely, you know, I think just kind of tying it together. I think that when you're in training, you're in like survival mode. You can't even think about like, what would it be like if I had a day off? Because right. you don't. So there's no point in even thinking like about it. Like seven days a week? Like, what is it? You, you have one, you get, you have to have one day a week off mm-hmm. as a resident. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, again, that day would be like Shabbos. Like it's right. not, you know, it, it was, it was very much survival mode. Like, you don't have time when you have time you're like studying you're tired you barely have any money so you mm-hmm. can't like really do anything right um so you're just in so survival crazy. mode um and then you know like once you're done with your training you're able to see what it's like it took me a long time it's, it's a little bit sad but it took me a long time to like even know what to do with my time to know right. like well what do i okay now i don't have to work every day like what am i even going to do what makes me happy what makes me right. feel relaxed what makes me like what are my interests what do I want to do right because for so long you kind of have to like suppress that when, while right. you're doing the training right um so like if you had asked me like five years ago like what would you do if you had a day off I, I truly I don't even know what I would say so what is like your perfect day off oh, today you had a good day now, now I know now <laughs> I know. but like I had to like work on it yeah <laughs> yeah suppress it so, so my typical day off is, um, let's see, what do I do? I take my kids to school, which they really like when I do that. They could, they could go on the bus, but you take them? 
Well, yeah, they're not taking the bus this year because of COVID. I have a babysitter oh. that drives them. Oh, but, okay. Um, but yeah, they really like that was part. That was like part of me wanting to have a day off. Is they really want me like taking them and and picking them up from school. Mm-hmm. So like, I really try to make that a priority to like always be available for them during those times. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of depending on the week, like once I drop them off. I'll either like go grocery shopping, which can be relaxing to me, depending. Yeah, um, I get that. I usually work out on my day off. So that's like a dedicated time that I know like is protected. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. it's really like, even if I, if I try to work out like after work, sometimes I'm just so tired. Um, and I also like, will find other things to do. Like, oh, I have to help this one with homework or I have to do whatever. It's kind of like easy to push it off. Mm-hmm. But I schedule it on my day off. It's like on my schedule. Like I, I can't, I have no way out of it so that I know that I'm getting that done. Do you like it? Um, I do like it a lot. Um, it kind of, it depends what I'm doing. So some, some of the exercises that I do feel more like work and I do it more just like, I feel like I need to. Um, but my Wednesdays, which is my day off right now that I really like, I work out with this Israeli lady here. I think I've told you about her. Mm-hmm. Shout What's her name? Ronley. Ronley. Ronley Omer. You told me she has like a place in her basement. Yeah. So she has like a little gym in her basement. Um, and so I have like a set appointment with her. So that keeps me like, keeps me on the schedule. Because otherwise mm-hmm. it's so like easy to push it off. To push it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't necessarily say like exercising is relaxing for me. It kind of depends what the setting is. So when it's like, you know, when my house is crazy and I get to leave to do my own thing. Yeah. Nice. Cause it's uh-huh. nice myself. I know um, totally, but I wouldn't put it in like a relaxing category, but it's definitely it's self care in the sense that like, I want to do this for myself to like, I know that I feel better afterwards. And I know that like, it just makes me feel better about myself. Um, but it's not on the same level as like sitting with a coffee with my feet up. Like that's right. Know? Right. Right. Um, but it's the type of thing. Like if I don't, do it then I start like feeling gross and then I need to do it mm-hmm. you know yep um and then I try to do like I'm not the hugest shopper but I really love going to Nordstrom Rack and just like walking around like I usually don't even buy anything but there's something about that store that's like super relaxing to me you have you have nice stores in Cleveland also it's like yeah, yeah we really do we have like nice shopping it's pretty yeah. And it's like quiet. I to do that, or I'll visit like one of my other friends that are off on the same day. Like we'll like meet for coffee, or just you know, just kind of like thing. I try to do things that I otherwise don't have time to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my hair done today. Beautiful. Is that relaxing? Yes, that's totally relaxing. I feel like when I when like we talked so much about like self care and like different ideas, and I remember when I first started like deciding to like spend money on a manicure like, which is like ten dollars but it was like a lot for me I was like oh my gosh like this is amazing like week one week two and then like by week three I'm like I cannot sit here for an hour <laughs> you know it's relaxing to me yeah no I really like it but like I have to have like I have to have like the full two hours otherwise I get like super stressed like you know what I mean yeah which is why like to me like the day off is so helpful because it's not just me like trying to like fit it in in the middle of everything right. crazy it's like right. dedicated time mm-hmm. um 
got like it, it's almost crazy it's like i need to schedule my relaxation but it's like other it's really not it's really not do you, you did you like know about the concept of self-care before like we talked about it like in depth like every day <laughs> so i'll tell you honestly like i can't remember exactly like the first time i heard about it to be honest it probably was from you but um for me, I would say the first time I started like really implementing it in my life. Um, so I'm sure like your, your listeners know more about me than I've disclosed yet just because they know you. So um, after mommy passed away, um, I felt like, like months after I was still feeling very much not myself. And mm-hmm. like, like I felt like I wasn't having like any patience for my kids or for like people around me. I just like didn't, I just, I was like short with everybody. I just Mm -hmm. had no patience. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was speaking with a therapist about it and she's like, well, I was like, yeah, I just have no patience for anybody. And like, I somehow feel like this is related to my, um, to like my grief, but I don't know how, and I don't know why. And like, I just want to like, not be like that, but I don't Mm -hmm. know, like, I don't know. I don't know how it's connected, but I feel like it's connected. And so she looked at me and she's like, so tell me what you do for self-care. And I was like, did you hear what I just said? I feel like I'm grieving and I have no patience for people. Right. Like, yep. Tell me what you do for self-care. And like, I clearly like wasn't getting it. Right. And so her point was that, you know, you suffered this like terrible trauma and like, if you don't have like the emotional wherewithal to deal with terrible things that happen in life um if you don't have like a buffer if you Mm -hmm. don't build up your emotional strength Mm -hmm. then when these things happen obviously this was an extreme example but everybody has things that happen in life Mm -hmm. that that require emotional energy um and that if you if you aren't almost like building up your emotional like kind of like warfare Mm -hmm. then then you can't handle it right and so she's like so obviously you just handle you just um you know experience this terrible trauma and and you can't even identify for me things that you're doing to like help yourself what what do you do for yourself what makes you happy what like like I think I always thought of self-care as like taking care of myself like physically almost Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she was like what do you do for self-care I'm like oh well I exercise and she actually asked me the same thing that you asked she was like oh you enjoy that right Um, because the point and her point was that self-care is just it's not necessary it's not taking care of your physical body necessarily unless it's physical emotional spiritual it could be like everything like it's not just whatever for for that person right like yeah be like sitting and watching a movie like right self-care that that relaxes me that like helps me you know chill out and reset and so, um, you know, I really thought about that because it, it almost seemed counterintuitive. I was expressing that I felt like I wasn't interacting with other people in the same, in the way that I wanted to. And she kept bringing it back to me. She was like, mm-hmm. you're not taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so you can't be there for other people the way that you want to be because you're not, you're, you're like tank is empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I thought a lot about it and like it kind of in a way at that time didn't really like make sense to me I'm like that makes no sense like I don't see how me going shopping is going to 
help me have patience for my kids. That didn't mm-hmm. make sense to me. It just didn't make sense. But I was like, all right, well, I have the time. I have this day off. I'm going to give it a try. And like I made a very conscious effort because I think also after all those years of training, it was like I had almost like trained myself to like not really let myself relax and like mm-hmm. not like you, you, it almost is like you can't prioritize yourself if, if you like want to get through it and you just like need to be very hyper focused on like studying and just getting through the intense schedule and like the training you can't worry right. about if you got your nails done like mm-hmm. seriously, who cares you know right um and and now this was like a new stage it's like okay I'm not in training anymore now I'm a person mm-hmm. I need to like learn how to integrate being a person into my life and um so I feel like I shared that with you and I don't remember like if she said those words first and or if they just like definitely took some time for it to resonate with me. But that honestly, that that is really like I feel like what helped me kind of get through my my grieving process was like just giving myself space, being like it's it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. It's okay to take time for yourself. It's okay to like who cares if the refrigerator is not stopped? It's okay. Like, right. who cares if you do take out for shot? It's, it's okay. Like, right. If you don't feel like cooking, it's okay. Like, right. Just like permission. My own feelings mm-hmm. and like, and a letting myself feel it and like, and then, and being okay with it, which is right. like a work in progress. Like, I still like feel bad, you know, if I'm like, oh, I do not feel like cooking and just do takeout. And my kids are like, we don't like this food. Right. Like, I feel bad. Right. But I'm like, you know what? I'm a person. I don't want to be up till like midnight on Thursday night and then work all day Friday. Like mm-hmm. I don't feel like cooking this week. Right. Um, so yeah, so it's definitely like a process, but now I totally have bought into the fact that like I am the best version of myself when I am doing good self care. I totally feel a difference. Like so we're moving now. So a lot of Which is my- exciting it's very exciting um and but a lot of my free time is being taken up by doing things for the move which is not right you know relaxing to me right so while it's a good thing and it's something that I want I totally feel the difference like last week on my day off I all I did all day was run errands and none of it was errands that I wanted to do it was like I dropped Isaac off to do something and I took the kids to the dentist and then I had a doctor's appointment so it was like things that I needed to do, but nothing that I actually wanted. Not fun. It wasn't fun. Yeah. And I was like, so stressed out by the end of the day. I'm like, this right. is just not how I want to be spending my off day, you know? Right. Right. Um, it is fuel. It's like literally fuel. Like if you don't, I mean, it sounds so cliche now. Cause like everybody's talking about like self-care, but like, especially I feel like for a doctor, anybody who has like a really intense, like work schedule, like you really don't have place for like yourself, like in your life, like you're really busy with other people's lives and other people's like like I know for me like I I know for therapists let's say they have to um have a they have to have a therapist or they have to I forget what I read about like something to do with self-care but like that you actually can't like be your best self or your best therapist your best doctor like if you're not actually taking care of yourself right yeah I totally I totally buy it now (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny how so many people like have such a resistance to it, you know, like, and maybe part of it for you was that like, that was like the way that you got through your medical training was the fact that you sort of like neglected yourself. If I could say that. 
Yeah. So it's like, I would totally say that to go from the other, to go to different, like to add something else back into your life. It really is sort of like a process. And then to have that suffer that major loss, it was probably just like the tipping point for you. Yeah, totally. Totally. Even though what's funny is that like mommy was like the biggest proponent of me working part-time. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. I'm like, really? Are you right. sure? I feel like I'm just like chickening out or something. I don't know. I had like a big issue with it. She's like, no, you're gonna love it. I, why do you think you're so like, you're so like, it, what's the right word? Like, you're just so like, not hard on yourself, but just like such a go-getter. Like, is it just because you're the oldest of nine? Maybe. <laughs> but I, th- I mean, part of it is also the culture. I mean, like, again, you know, I'm, I practice pediatric anesthesia. There's a lot of women. There's a lot of moms. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people that have other things going on in their lives that, we're that are okay working part-time but it's not common like in in medicine for people to work part-time so it's just just not part of the culture so I feel like it is it becoming more common like I feel like I think it is but um you don't experience that until you're done so like I spent 10 years in like this very hardcore environment so to like come out on the other end and be like yeah I think I'm just gonna not do as much it just right it's not part of the culture. Right, right. You know? So mm-hmm. it just, it's just, um, it's just really hard to like, to, to make that change, to go from being like, you know, pushing yourself to as hard as you can and do like the absolute best that you can to like shifting your priorities and saying like, yeah, work is important, but it's not like the most important, right. you know? Because right. as a resident, you kind of have to make it the most important. Right. Life. Or you won't get through it. Yeah. Right. Right. I actually remember that, that when I first started working, mommy was like, why don't you work part-time? I'm like, cause I don't want to work part-time. Like I worked so hard to get my degree. I'm working full-time. And then like, it was horrible. But like, I remember now, I mean, now, like, I mean, I try to practice what I preach. Like, I feel like I also schedule in my week. I look at my week. I'm like, Hey, where could I fit in? Like my exercise or going out with my friends because like I just function better and like I'm better at everything you know yeah totally so someone knew that about self-care she was good at that I know yeah yeah (laughs) she she probably had I mean I doubt there was any self-care going on when she was like you know raising a lot of little kids and working and in school right right you know I don't doubt she ever did anything for herself right and there I think that now I think that that was like also the culture like just do 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 and like push yourself or maybe that that was her culture I feel like to have nine kids and to go back to school and everything like that but like I feel like now it's it is becoming more like acceptable like what works for you you know like make it easier on yourself because then everybody will do better I I think that I think that that's just a hard balance for people who are like self-motivated working hard they feel like that is kind of like a cop-out but like like you're saying you're practicing it now and you see that you see how much better it is right but I think a lot of it is also like so yes so there is I think a general culture shift like cultural shift um and and like you know I'm supported like my boss supports that she did the same thing right I think it would be very difficult if I had a boss that was like didn't understand it and was like I don't know why you are choosing to work less right Right. That's a big deal. Like I actually, um, last year was offered like a, like a, another leadership role 
and I, I thought about it and I ended up declining it and saying like, I'm really flattered, but like, I have too much on my plate. And right. this, all this is going to do is be like another thing that I feel like I'm not doing well because I'm just doing too much. Right. And like, I feel like, like my, and my chair was actually like kind of applauded that when I told him mm. um, and he was like, well, good for you for like recognizing your limits and like trying to not take on too much. But I feel like if it was a different person, they would be like, you know, like hmm, weak, you know, like that's not know. often that you um, turn down right. offers in medicine, right. you know, right, right. Um, so I feel like I, I am in a very supportive, um, like I've, I'm supported by my leadership. If, if I wasn't, and I was like always like fighting against it to be like, no, I don't want to do that project. No, I'm not answering my phone on my off day. Like, no, I'm on vacation. Like, sorry, mm-hmm. I'm not available. So if I, if I was like getting like looked down on for behaving like that, then it would be a lot harder to be, to behave like that. Right. You know, because right. I would feel like pressured like I wasn't um you know meeting my expectations if like you know if I was not supported in behaving like that right it sounds like you have a really supportive like work environment that like they're all for that part-time or I don't consider it part-time but going from five days to four days and like partially retired thanks partially retired yeah um okay so it's, it's almost been an hour but we could, we could just talk forever, the two of us, but, <laughs> um, so you don't have Instagram I do. and you don't have Facebook, but if people want to reach out to you, maybe, maybe there'll be some medical students listening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can email me. You can okay. Email if you want. I'll yeah, put your I'll email in the show notes. And, at okay. I'm going to put that in the show notes. And is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Um, I think I gave my message, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyone that's thinking about toying with the idea of medicine, only do it if you can't find anything else that you're passionate about. And if that's what's dri- what drives you, you, then you'll love it. And it's totally fulfilling and, and, um, and, and you won't turn back. So you got to move to Cleveland. You really, really want it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and while the, the medical culture and the medical training culture might push you to your limits, and that's okay, I think, for a short period of time if it's what you really, really want. But you have to remember to kind of to reassess once you're done, and and don't forget to take care of yourself because you can't you can't um, you know suppress that for for too long. It's not right. For everybody. Right. Totally. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. So so nice. Thanks for inviting me. Okay. No problem. Have a good night. Bye. Good night. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.